Welcome to The One Guys Show, where we're going to be bringing you nutritional and mindset insights to help you gain nutritional freedom, lose weight faster, build a winner's mindset, all without the stress, guesswork, and sacrifice that you're used to. Now, this podcast specializes in helping women break free from the dieting shackles that society has placed them in and provides them with a clear path to success. So let's dive in. And welcome back, team, to another podcast or should we say episode on the One Guy Show. Mr. Hayden Rolf, welcome back. I say welcome back as if like you're a guest. I'm like a guest. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've been welcome back to every single episode so far. I'll well, be back. Gonna... Here's a hint, I'll be back next week. <laughs> yeah, if you didn't know, Hayden's actually here every single week. I don't know if you guys knew this, but uh, but he is. Um, how's things going, Hayden? How, well, actually, you know, first things first, how are you in relation to getting over the big C, Rona? The big, uh, the big Rona. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually good. I feel really, really good. I feel back to myself, energy levels back up, back into the routine of getting up early again. Which was, that was, for me, like the biggest um, struggle that I had was mm. because my fatigue was like so high. I'm, I'm usually like a, an early person where I can get up at like five o'clock, absolutely fine, jump out of bed, ready to go over the day. Yeah. And it was almost impossible to do that. But I think I did it properly, you know, like I didn't rush myself back into exercise. I didn't like rush my back in, uh, myself back into like a, a, a fast schedule. Mm. So I started slow, built my way up and I think, yeah, I'm feeling good for it. Taste Come is on. 90% of the way there. Smell is 90% of the way there. There's some, some small things that I can't taste and same with um, there's some things I can't smell as well. But it's crazy, isn't it? Like some people, some people literally like over a year and they still haven't got it back. So the fact that you're, you're already 90%, I think is a very lucky thing in your corner. Yeah. I've been sent a um, few good studies as well of like some research that they're doing to find out why this actually happens. Mm -hmm. um, and they're testing, one of them that I've read was like they're testing folic acid. Um for people that it's like have had it post six months, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see actually how all this comes out. It's the, we shall see. We shall see. Mm. So team, without further ado, let's mm. dig in to the topic. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Um, two, uh, I am 20 days out from officially being a father. Um, I mean, you could be two days out. Yeah, I mean, she could literally come at any time. Excited, nervous, all the emotions, I think. You know, I've been excited from day dot. Like, literally, from, from the moment uh, I've kind of, like, found out, I've been super excited. And I think now it kind of comes to it. I think the biggest kind of is, is the unknown. I think that's what kind of is, at the moment, the thing. is like, it is a total unknown thing. Like, there is no rule book for this. There is no right or wrong, almost, either. But also... I mean, I've got, you've got to see your other half go through pain and you've just got to voluntarily just sit there and watch. And I'm like, that's almost, I think, the biggest thing that's at the moment in my head. I'm like, oh, I've never just oh, warned, like sat there and watched someone in that much pain before and it's going to be a bit of a weird experience. Don't get me wrong, it's going to be incredible. And, the, you know, the, the happiness of having a child is going to obviously take over that. Yeah, yeah. But seeing someone in that much pain, Pain, I think, is going to be a whole new experience because I'm like, ooh, ow, ooh, ooh, that, ooh, ah, ooh, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I'll be the supportive other half, and yeah, you know, in in, in in one of these podcasts, 
we're going to have Mini Ryan or Mini <laughs> Rebecca. It's a girl, so it's not going to be Mini Ryan, is it? So anyway, yeah. All good. Hang on, did you just drop the name? No, I said Mini Rebecca. No, no, it's not. We've called Rebecca. No oh, offense to the like, Rebecca's Jesus. out there in the world. Um, nah, nah. There's a big, there's a big confrontation around the name. Uh, we liked the name, and I got like quite into that name, and I was like, yeah, I like it. And then Mother Half changed her decision and decided that wasn't her favorite name. There was something else. And now she's very, very strongly acceptant of this other name. And I'm a bit on the fence about it. Um, yeah. So it's one of those awkward ones. And then there's the argument of that, like, well, I'm the one that's pushing her out and she's getting your surname. So, and then my name that I want, she's like, well, that can be a middle name. And I'm like, so it's a bit of a, a bit of a catch 22. I'm trying to come to terms of, okay, well, let's just kind of like warm to the name that she prefers. Um, and then also I'm kind of just like, well, maybe you just keep looking for names. So it's not an absolute no from you. No, no, it's growing on me the more I say it. But I think it's also because I'm just super stubborn and I'm like, I want to have the last say in the bloody name. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you know what? Like, it'll be, what will be, will be. And I think, anyway, we're not going to settle on a specific name until she's here, when you see her. And I think that's the cool thing is that actually you might see her and be like, she does not look like that. That's she a Gustavo. Like, that, yeah, like that's a Margaret through and through, 100%. Get <laughs> her in. So yeah, all excited. So yeah. team. Those of you that are listening to this, we asked now, we're now going to give you some, uh, we're going to give you more than one topic per podcast. And what we're going to do for you guys listening to this back, um, we're going to be breaking them up. So you're actually going to get three episodes a week, which are going to be mini episodes. And then we're going to do one big, full, long episode, which is going to be good for you guys who like the longer episodes, who like to listen for kind of 30, 40, 60 minutes. But then you're also going to have the little snippets three times a week of listening to three different topics that are going to be about 10 to 15 minutes. And I think this is going to give a good ratio of time for everyone to find exactly what you like. So we're not stopping. The long ones are going to be there, but we're going to break them into little chunks throughout the week to release them to help those who want just a little podcast rather than a big, long one. So today, the first thing we're going to start off with is talking about calorie calculators. So calorie calculators, we have a calorie calculator. Calorie calculators are Good. And we're going to dive into a bit about these. I don't know if you want to dive in first, Hayden, or you want me to give an overview or what? How do you want to do this? Yeah, sure. So calorie calculators are like, they're good. They give you an estimate, right? It gives you Mm -hmm. a good understanding to potentially, you know, where your focus should possibly be from a calorie perspective. Yeah. But it's not conclusive. And this is where so many people go wrong with it. So many people are like, okay, I've just found this calorie calculator. This is my calories, 100%. If I follow this, I'm going to lose body fat. But how, think about it logically, right? How you put a couple um, numbers into a machine and it spits you out another number. It knows Mm. nothing about you. It knows nothing about your previous dieting history, your medical conditions, like all of these things it doesn't know about. So how can you expect it to know your exact calories? Yeah. Yeah. that's where so many people go wrong, don't they? Mm, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think that's the first point. The first point is that calorie calculators are simply a starting point of your averages. Unless you are doing 100,000 pounds kit um, that's really kind of working out your fat mass, your muscle mass, water weight, all these different things. And then it's really utilizing all of those to give you a better estimate. You're jumping in a, you know, a, a Doug, it's Douglas bag, isn't it? We did at uni. All these different kind of scientific ways to understand what it is. 
it's all just done on averages. And this is where people like Hayden said get confused is that they see this number as the be all and end all. It's like, this is my figure. This is what I have to stick to. And, and if it doesn't work, then my body's broken. And it's like, actually what you've got to realize is this, this is just a starting point on averages that gives you something to focus on. Now, in that same breath, that's also, there's a few things we kind of want to cover here is that a calorie calculator is done on averages, which means that it gives you a starting point. Now, one thing that's always uh, worth noting is, and I'm going to say this kind of here, is that do not try 57 different people's calculators because we get people that come to us and they're like, I used, and I literally yesterday, I've used James Smith's uh, calculator and I lost three pounds and I haven't lost it. Have you got a link to yours? As if that calculator was wrong. And I'm like, those calculators, they will usually give you probably roughly within 300 calories of a uh, ideal calorie intake, if that makes sense. Now, for the most part, they'll still put you in a deficit. It's like some might be bigger than others. I'd, I'd argue that none of them will put you in a surplus. Like they will all set you in a deficit. It's just probably the uh, the sure. size of the, yeah, the size of the deficit will be bigger or smaller depending on what calculator you use because the calculators use certain equations. Yeah. Um, so that's secondary point. The first thing is it starts on average. The second thing is once you get those numbers, stick with those numbers. Don't keep doing them because then you're like, People get really confused and they get quite caught up with the whole like, but this one gave me 300 calories more. Ryan, yours gave us 200 calories less. Like, whose is right or wrong? And so before they've even started, they then cause overwhelm. And it's that whole like, um, uh, when you're uh, an analysis, paralysis by analysis. It's like you're thinking too much in it that you don't even start because you're still trying to find this perfect calorie number. But it's like the perfect calorie number doesn't exist because one no day is exactly the same. So that's why a calorie is always just a target figure around about where you want to be. And once you've used one and got that number, stick with it. And then once you've got that number and you want to stick with it, I don't know, Hayden, if you wanted to kind of talk about what you want to do once you get your calories, about kind of um, alluding here to uh, actually like tracking stuff to find out. Yeah, I mean, this, where kind it lands. Of, this kind of ties nicely to what I was going to say anyway. Was like, so just to give you um, all an example of how far calorie calculators can be out by the numbers that have been suggested in a calorie calculation. So you know, obviously, you've got your your BMR and then you times it by like a number to find out like your activity level. So you times yep. by your activity level to get like your maintenance calories. If I put in my activity multiplier by what it says on the um, calculator, my calories maintenance comes out at 3,100. And I can categorically tell you that my calorie maintenance is not 3,100. That mm -hmm. would put me in a surplus. But going into what Ryan said, how do I know that? And I only know that because of testing because of tracking and seeing mm -hmm. what my calories should be. So like Ryan said, it's really, really important that you pick a calculation that you're going to use and stick to it, like stick yep. to it for at least 14 to 21 days. Because the only way that I found out that 3,100 wasn't my maintenance was by me actually tracking this data and seeing my weight go up and, um, all my other measurements and stuff going up as well that came yeah. in my yeah. pictures. I'm physically um, looking a bit more bloated and all of these things. So I tested, dropped it down a little bit and basically did exactly the same process every 14 to 21 days, which by the way, most people aren't even willing to put in is 14 to 21 days to then get to a point of where I actually realized, okay, I'm maintaining my 
um, like not only my weight, I maintain yeah. my physique, I maintain my measurements and all of these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's it. That's it comes again. It's like, it's, it's circling back to that expectation thing. It's like, you jump into it and you're like, oh, well, it's been four days and um, there's something obviously wrong with four me. Days, but it's like, generous. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> there you go. It's like what you've got to do is work out your calories and understand this is just a soul, soul starting point. You need to track, collect data, like Hayden said, measurements, daily weigh-ins, photos, and then see after two to three weeks how your body is responding and the results that you are getting. Because that number might be perfect, but also that number might be too high. So it's like your results are quite slow and you want to speed it up. But actually the results might be quite fast. You find that hunger's there, energy's not there, sleep's impacted. Okay, cool. Well, maybe we can have a bit more calories than we first thought. So that's first and foremost, always track the data for two to three weeks to actually understand where those calories are. They're also... Oh, go on. So I was was just going to add into that as well is before you make any adjustments, because it's, it seems simple, right? Before you go like, right, okay, I'm not losing any weight. Nothing's changing. Right, I'm going to slash my calories lower. Ask yourself the honest question because there's going to be many variables to why potentially those calories aren't working for you. Mm-hmm. So you've got to ask yourself the question as well. Is it the fact that actually, you know, the calories aren't working or is it the fact that I'm not actually tracking my calories properly? Like yeah. I'm ad-libbing the days. At the weekends, yeah. I'm not really tracking that much at all. I'm just eating whatever I want. Like I actually don't know how to use my fitness pal. So I'm just putting the shepherd pie version that it says in my mm. fitness pal. So you have to like, you have to yeah. be open and not honest with yourself because if you just keep slashing your calories lower and lower and lower, like it's a means to an end. Like there's, there's yeah. nowhere else you can go with it. So you yeah. want to be checking all variables before you change your calories. And yeah. I mean, if you want us to do the hard work for you, reach out to us. The one Academy is exactly what we do. We take away all the guessing game, but it is going to be, unfortunately, the honest answer to all of you it's going to be trial and error and it's mm-hmm. going to be an extensive period of trial and error. It's not something yeah. that will happen in four to six weeks. It will take yeah. a long time, but once yeah. you have that formula, you've got it for life. Yeah. And that, that's it is it's once you've got your calories, you track the data and then you work out from the data where that's working. If it's not working, I'd argue the first point of call that you want to look at is how accurate is your tracking before you make any adjustments is how accurate are you? Is that like Hayden said, scanning everything, making sure you're picking the right things, or are you doing a lot of guesstimating, generalizing, because that could instantly be it. A lot of people, I think, think that their calories aren't right. And they're like, Ryan, you know, we've given, we've done it with clients. We've given their calories now, Ryan, 2200, never going to lose weight on that. I'm going to gain. And I'm like, cool. Well, you do this for two weeks. If you gain, I'll give you an extra two weeks of your academy. They come back and they're like, oh, I'm actually losing weight because they're now being diligent with their tracking. Whereas beforehand, there were probably a lot of guesstimating, estimating, and that can easily, you know, studies have shown that over-reporting, uh, under-reporting, sorry, with your calories can be up to like 400 calories, even in um, nutritionists. So like people do it. It's just, it's just human habit. Unfortunately, it's just the way it works. So track the data and then do that and make sure that your tracking is accurate before you make any adjustments if you believe that it's not working. The second thing is when you are tracking, don't just stick by that number. And I think this is probably something that a lot of PTs have done in the past. They're like, Susan, your calories are 2,197. That's what you got to hit. How hard is that? To the calorie. And also, you don't need to be that precise. If your calories come out as 2,137, for example, I would literally stick yourself at 2,000 to 2,200. That gives you a 200 calorie bracket, 
to work from. What it does is it alleviates all the stress. It allows you to have a bit more flexibility so you haven't got to be so rigid. Remember, restriction, not good. Rigid, rigidity, not good. It allows yourself flexibility to oh, actually have... What? Rigidity. rigidity. Yeah. Is it? It's definitely a word. Yeah, man. Don't don't ruin my flow. Um, and it gives you that like that kind of like flexibility with regards to your tracking. You haven't got to panic because you haven't hit two thousand one hundred thirty-seven calories on the dot. So actually, two thousand and ten calories is fine. Two thousand and fifty-seven calories is fine. It doesn't matter even if you have two thousand one hundred seventy-seven calories. It's fine. And that's what I think you've got to know is that there's a lot of worry, as it were, as to sometimes where your calories are. Um, and how close you are to hitting that exact number. Don't worry about that exact number. Set a 200 calorie bracket with that number in it, if that makes sense, like I just showed you, and that will give you more flexibility, more relaxation around tracking as well. And the last point that I just want to kind of talk about calories and calculators here, Hayden, is about your activity multiplier decision. Um, I think I briefly alluded to that, unless you can't remember earlier, then I can start it. But when choosing your calorie calculator uh, activity multiplier, so many people underestimate and they underestimate because they want that calorie calculator to spit out low calories. Yeah, I, I typically see it from two angles, if I'm completely honest. Like, I'd probably say the majority of the population 100% do that. Like, 100% want the low end of the calories, so they pretend that they're much more lazy than they am. And that yeah. can lead to a, a whole host of, of health problems. But at the same time as well, you do get the individual that goes on the other side where they're like, okay, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go to the gym five times a week. I'm going to hit my steps every single day. But in reality, it's not actually what you do. Yeah. So you've got a huge mismatch of what your calories are. So you don't want to be shooting from either end. Like you want to, you know, I always say to people when making the decision from an activity multiplier, it's like get an average, just find an average of what you normally do per week because it's never going to be perfect. There are going to be times mm. in life where you plan to go to the gym, you plan to do 10,000 steps, but yeah. life happens. So you can't do it. Yeah. So yeah. It's, you want to have this kind of like balance and uh, understanding it. Again, it's going back to being realistic with your expectations and reviewing. Yeah. <clears throat> Everything that we're going to talk about really does. It's the boring, it's kind of the boring word, but it's, um, it's reflect, it's reviewing. Yeah. yeah, 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 massively. And also just as a side note, before we move on, just as a side note here, if you have metabolic conditions such as PCOS, hypothyroidism to an extent, unless you're medicated, um, menopause, these different things can influence your calorie need due to metabolic changes and metabolic differences to your average person. So if you do have one of those conditions, as myself and Hayden always say, reach out to us. If you use our calculator, which is in the link in the description to this podcast, cool. But if you have one of these conditions, reach out because we can give you a bit more information as to how you then would change it. And in the next little mini podcast episode, um, we're going to be talking about PCOS specifically and give you a brief overview as to what you want to be doing in relation to that as well. But just to kind of give a summary before we move on is Calorie calculators, great starting point, but it's just averages. You need to track. Once you've got your calorie start, use a bracket. Use a bracket of around 200 calories to give you an area to aim for. Number three is track two to three weeks to make sure that that calorie target is leading you to where you want to go with regards to your results. And if it's not, check your tracking first before you make any adjustments. 
Number three is when you're picking your activity multiplier, just be true to it. Don't try and get the lowest calories and also don't switch from calorie calculators, calorie calculators. They will give you different numbers. Use one, stick with it, hold the path and then make relevant adjustments if needed once you've checked your tracking. Now we're going to talk about PCOS. PCOS is something that a lot of women in the world deal with. I believe it's something like 10 to 15%. I'm pretty sure I read somewhere. It's a lot of uh, women in the world. And I think it's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of misinformation or just a lack of information, I think for the most part. And I didn't really delve into this, um, openly and honestly until started working with Hayden like four and a half years ago, or maybe in five now. Um, and I was completely new to this, hadn't heard of it, didn't understand it or anything. And then through speaking with Hayden, doing my own research, doing my nutritionist course, I've learned a lot more into it now. And it is so important to understand it. So what we want to do in this part is talk about a brief overview of PCOS, some key things to acknowledge, some key things to implement. And also we'll briefly talk about if you are using, um, you know, working out calories, how this can be impacted when it comes to PCOS as well. And I'm going to let Mr. Hayden Rolf talk about uh, this to start with, because he's going to bring you some absolute knowledge bombs and more importantly, implemental things that we can do to help. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing that you, you want to like, you should know that there's there's a few things at play that can definitely make um, losing weight harder when you have PCOS. Like, same rules apply though. Before I go into anything that I'm going to talk about, it's the same rules apply. Like, a calorie deficit needs to be achieved in order to get to your fat loss goals. Yeah. Like, everyone that I've spoke to, or a lot of people, because um, there's such mass confusion with PCOS and achieving your fat loss goals, like, I've heard all sorts of things, like you've got to cut out gluten, dairy, like you've got to do all of these other things that aren't necessarily um, actually necessary. Mm -hmm. um, so I've heard people as well say, like, these supplements are the, are the magic formula. And you can take supplements are, that are going to benefit you, are going to help alleviate the effects of PCOS. Um, but same rules apply. If you aren't still achieving that calorie deficit, it doesn't matter what supplement you take. And the same applies if you don't have PCOS. Like there isn't a supplement in the world that's going to help you elicit fat loss if you aren't achieving the calorie deficit. Yeah. So yeah. the first thing to mention, like, and what is the uh, biggest kind of take home that you might want to get from this if you have PCOS is you can be slightly metabolically adapted um, when you have PCOS. And you can have an, an adapted BMR, which is basal metabolic rate, which for anyone that doesn't know, your BMR Couch is, calories. Yeah, I heard, I heard uh, Simon used to call it, so a guy that I work with on social media, he was like, he used to call it your, K, your BMR, because basal metabolic rate doesn't mean a lot to people. It's like, okay, your BMR is your couch potato calories if you were to lie on the sofa and do nothing all day. And I thought that was great because I was like, oh, that, that, that does make sense. Your couch potato calories. Yeah, it's just the amount of calories that you need to basically survive the normal bodily functions. So that can be slightly adapted. Now, this is where these calculations, calorie calculators, aren't necessarily going to help you that much because they don't take into effect your individual needs. So you could be anywhere, and it's been studied up to some women can be uh, metabolically adapted up to 40%. That's huge, mm. right? So your, yeah. your calories could potentially be 40% less than what you once thought because of a calorie calculator. Now, yeah. I please, 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 please don't listen to this and slash your calories to 40% right now. <laughs> I knew, I knew. I was like, someone's going to sit there and be like, okay, cool. So your average, 
my an average person that I've worked out, if I do UCALI calculate, is 2,000, but I might be 40% adapted. That works out 1,200 for maintenance. So 800 is a good deficit for me. Absolutely bloody not. <laughs> yeah. And in the, I mean, God, how long have I, so... So yeah, it, in the last like 10 to 12 years, there's only one person, and, and this is going like, like hundreds of thousands of people that I've worked with over the course of, you know, 12 years, mm-hmm. one person I have ever got to a 40% deficit, one person. Yeah. Like that is it. And even then we had to switch up their, goal, their goals because for her, it wasn't really realistic for her lifestyle right now. So yeah. we had to then change our focuses and, and other things, but it could be anywhere between like five to 40%. And this is where testing for you becomes exponentially more important mm-hmm. because you've got to find out what the perfect amount for you is. Now, it does involve a bit of a um, strategic uh, testing system. So like Ryan said to you a second ago, if you are in a position where you have PCOS, you're really struggling to lose weight and you need some clarity, reach out to us and we can kind of help you get, we can help give you a bit more clarity into how to kind of uh, achieve your goals. Um, so that's the first thing that's in play. You've got something that is going to potentially affect the amount of calories you should be eating. You're sl- potentially maybe slightly metabolically adapted. And this can be why, this could be one of the answers to why you're like, no matter how hard I seem to stick to this deficit, mm. I can't seem that's to get my fat loss results because it might not actually be your deficit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's such a key point is that like, is to as to highlight that is that it's not because you're broken it's not because you've got pcos that you physically can't lose weight it's like the law of thermodynamics is always true it just means that instead of your calorie maintenance being 2000 it might be 1700 so therefore 1700 is your deficit because you know if you if you then were to eat 1700 as a deficit of 300 well, for you, that's not, that's your maintenance. And this is all that people don't realize. And so they're like, oh, I'm broken. You know, it says my maintenance was 2000 and I'm eating 1700 and I'm not losing weight. And it's like, well, actually you could just be metabolically adaptive that you actually need to go down to like 1400 to start to lose weight loss. And this is what we're saying. And I think this is also why it's frustrating for so many women with PCOS is that you can, you can even start with the best intentions. And it's like, but actually when you start, you're starting at your maintenance, which you think is a deficit, but it's not. And that's the only reason as to why whatever it is, whether you've got hypothyroidism, PCOS, all these things, it's like, it's not that you're broken. It's not your metabolism doesn't work. It's just that you, your calorie needs might be lower. So it still means that if you're not losing weight, you're eating too many calories than you need. Exactly like that, that example that I just gave. You might be eating 1700 and be like, I can't lose weight. I'm eating 1700 calories and I don't even go anywhere. And it's like, well, it just means because you're eating too many calories for what you need. You know, your average person, that'd be a 300 calorie deficit if they worked it out as 2000 as their maintenance. But for you, your maintenance is 1700. So you need to go below that. Um, and I think then it kind of comes into, especially when it comes to tracking with regards to PCF, if you are adapted, Exactly like Hayden said, you've got to take your lifestyle factors into consideration because a lot of people would be like, yeah, let's just hack it. And I know I've got to have lower calories than the normal person. So I'm just going to go low. You still have to bring in that longevity, adherence and sustainability to it. And this is what I think is frustrating is almost I'd argue that for PCOS women, you also have to have a slight bit more patience because unless you want to be eating like a toddler, you're going to have to, for the most part for your adherence, probably have low calories, even at a small deficit, your calories could be a a lot lower than perhaps what they would be. 
So it's going to mean that, yes, your rate of fat loss will be slower. And yes, that's going to be frustrating, but you've got to realize that, yes, you could go faster, but there's not going to be sustainability in regards to, one, being able to stick to adherence side, but also just from a lifestyle point of view. You aren't going to be able to socialize. You aren't going to be able to go out and have some uh, glasses of wine and entertain clients for a business meeting. Like Those things are going to be a very hard option for you to include when you're trying to lose weight. So always not only look at your calorie needs, but also look at it from a standpoint of longevity. It's like you can go fast. There's nothing, I'm not standing here saying that you can't have a bigger deficit and go faster at the gates, but I'm saying that, especially for someone with PCOS who has to have less calories than your average person anyway, it's like to give to go into a big deficit is probably not going to be your best plan of action in regards to long-term-ness. Again, you could chop and change and do, you know, sprints along with kind of slower fat loss periods but that's kind of getting into the coaching side of things but yeah yeah you you don't need to like you, you can still absolutely eat anything and like anything you like there's no foods off limit like mm-hmm. there's literally no foods off limit so you can still do these things but it's just one of those things like ryan is saying basically like you have to just be more calorie aware unfortunately like you have to be more calorie aware to, with with the situation that you have like it's the same with like vegetarians right like vegetarians and vegans, like they have to be more calorie conscious because they've now cut out a huge um, protein source in their life. So they have to be more conscious about like the foods they're eating to get their protein level in. Yeah, yeah. And the second thing I want us to touch on, so kind of three things is obviously the metabolism side of things. I want to talk about, um, what's the word? Supplemental side, things that can help. But also then lastly, obviously talk about protein because that's a big part of it. So secondly, we want to talk about supplements because supplements can help. help. Uh, as, as we always say, food comes first. But when it comes to PCOS, there are a handful of supplements that are going to be actually probably staples for you to take um, to actually help improve the symptoms such as protein sparing, the way that things get delegated throughout your body um that are going to give you the best chance of being successful so uh let's dig into them do you want me do you want me to go oh, well, yeah I mean, I mean you were just kind of on a roll with it so i was going to let you go i mean i was going to start with the note so a note so the well, the first i'll start with the first one then you can go in from there so the first one is uh inositol inositol is probably a supplement i think a lot of people to be fair nowadays have started to understand and know about this, I'd argue, because a lot of women that I've spoke to with PCOS, I'd argue probably 30% of them, 40%, maybe already take it. So Inositol is a great supplement because kind of in short, it basically helps with uh, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The shuttling of nutrients or the... the Partitioning. Yeah, that's the word. Partitioning of nutrients. So with that, we're going to go into this a bit deeper, but basically... With PCOS, you typically utilize protein at a lot higher rate. You utilize protein at a lot higher rate. So that's why, and we're going to get into this, it's important to have a higher protein diet for women with PCOS. But also inositol helps with basically the partitioning of those nutrients. So by taking inositol, you're basically helping your body spare the protein that potentially is going to be using at a higher rate than your average person. Now, we're going to talk into the benefits of protein. Now, inositol is something you can get from a lot of different places. Um, simply any inositol online. No, uh, myo inositol is like the more commonly one. I know there's, uh, is it over inositol? I think that's usually like the overpriced one. So I just stick with like myo inositol. I know my protein do it pretty simply, but this is, this is its main function 
is to help offset protein catabolism, which is basically the, the, the breakdown and obviously usage of protein more than the other macronutrients or compared to your own individual. Um, in regards to how much to take, four, correct me if I'm wrong, four grams a day. It is four grams a day, isn't it? Like two to five. Two to five grams um, per day is going to be suffice. Now, five grams doesn't mean that you're going to get better results. I always say this. I'm like, start at two and then you can always increase if need be. Again, for your mid-range starting at like three or four and you might find every single day to take that and that is also going to help you in your journey as well and also remembering yeah that more isn't necessarily better yeah yeah it also helps there's other things as well like it does it has been proven to help with um like significantly reduce weight loss um again side note it's not the magic formula that is going to elicit fat loss because again, going back to the calorie deficit, um, I don't mean to keep hammering that home, but as soon as I usually say like a supplement can potentially help with weight loss, people's focus just tend to steer straight onto that. Um, I'm going to start taking it. <laughs> so yeah, it's, um, it's, it's obviously something to bear in mind that can help. Um, and also like, by the way, it can take, some people have seen results up to 90 days, like after taking it. Some people have seen six months to a year. So don't take it for three weeks and think, well, this isn't working. It's not doing anything. It can take a while sometimes. So, you know, stick out. It's only going to be beneficial because it also yeah. helps reduce um, uh, insulin resistance. So it makes you more insulin sensitive. So again, it's got a, it's got a, it's going to help you with that. So there's more benefits to taking inositol than it just potentially helping with weight loss. Um, the, are we still on the supplement route, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So vitamin D is, I, I'd argue, everyone, everyone. In, especially in the UK, it can... can it's uh, something crazy, like 70%. Yeah, it can, can benefit from vitamin D, but again, always consult your doctor with everything we're saying. And here's a fun fact, before you continue on that, is that to get the relevant amount of vitamin D that you need from the sun, bearing in mind the sun doesn't appear that much in the UK, we all know that, you have to have like 70% of your body, 70, 75% of your body exposed for 15 to 20 minutes. And I remember Martin McDonald was talking about that, that he would say to like football players stuff before they put cream on, go in the sun for like 15 minutes, like in your shorts, because that will give you your vitamin D hit that you need, then put sun cream on. Because the thing is, is what a lot of people do is they put sun cream on and then that stops the actual uh, yeah. exposure of it. So you, yeah, so you don't get it. So actually it's good to kind of get a little bit of, exposure before you put the sun cream on for vitamin d purposes because who walks around in shorts in the uk i don't think i do well, that there's often just no, it's, there's sun like three <laughs> three weeks of the year <laughs> so you can hit your vitamin d three weeks out of 52 and uh you're gonna be deficient <laughs> yeah uh but also with vitamin d um it's it's the main thing that um i find is most beneficial with women with pcos for vitamin D is I always like to look at it more of an approach of like, okay, most women that suffer with PCOS, like it's annoying for them. It's super frustrating. It can make them feel, you know, a little bit depressed because they feel like they are broken. And I'm just using that word because that's the quote that I hear so, like literally daily. Like I feel yeah. broken. I feel like I can't achieve my goals. And it really, really helps um, reduce depressive symptoms. So again, not just PCOS, everyone across the world can probably benefit with that, or especially across the UK, yeah. but it does help reduce depressive symptoms. 
So if you feel like um, you're kind of stuck with this PCOS and it's making you feel depressed, taking vitamin D can massively help with that. Um, and it can alleviate, uh, alleviate like that feeling of feeling depressed a little bit. So, you know, that's, that's something else to consider. In terms of dosages, uh, like 2,500 um, IU per day is a mm-hmm. safe dose. Um, but again, like you could start at 2,000. Um, it's really, if you... Unless your doctor, because obviously some people then have spoken to the doctors and they're purposely double dosing because they're trying to get your levels back up to normal, obviously mm-hmm. then don't take any more. Like just listen to your doctor. Um, but for the most part, again, anyway, like for everyone, 2,500 IUC yeah. per day. And, and you can, with vitamin D, you can backload or front load. So you can literally take your week's worth on a Monday. Or if you forget to take it that week and it's Friday, you can take all of your week's worth on the Friday, which I think is actually a pretty amazing thing that it's like, like I yesterday forgot to take my pills. I won't be jamming all of them in me and like doubling up on everything because it's probably not ideal. So, but with my vitamin D, I can transfer my vitamin D tablet to today and I will take two of them. So just know that, that if you miss things with vitamin D, which, you know, we all do um, here and there, you can take your vitamin D, vitamin D, <laughs> you can take your vitamin D uh, either all on a Monday for the whole week uh, or you could take it all on a Friday. And the best thing about vitamin D um, when you do take it is to be taking with a fat source. So it's good to obviously, I mean, as most of you should be doing anyway, it's always good to take tablets around a meal or like after a meal. Um, I have made the mistake of taking it on an empty stomach and I remember I got the worst like stomach pain in the world. I did it twice and every time and I was like, oh my God, I was like, my stomach is killing. So always eat food. I mean, it says on there to be taking with, <laughs> with a meal. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, a meal wasn't here. I don't know where he was, but. And L, see, see my, my, my knowledge isn't that massive in the supplements for that, but I know L carnitine, I believe. Yeah. I was literally about to like find my, find my book. Um, L carnitine, Hayden, dive us in. Yeah. So L carnitine has been, uh, unfortunately proven. And the reason I say unfortunately is because it's one of these things that people think it's the magic pill again, but it has been shown and certainly to have a, an effect at reducing your waist to hip ratio, um, which is obviously going to be beneficial from a weight loss standpoint um, from a 12 week course that was of it. So again, it's not like a take for one or two weeks. It was like spread over the course of 12 weeks. It has been shown to have some benefits. So um, yeah, you've got that last one is, uh, yeah, like there's, there's a few, but like magnesium, um, again is often women with PCOS, uh, are deficient in magnesium. And again, if you're deficient in magnesium, it can have an effect on like feeling fatigued and stuff like that. And that can, um, indirectly have an impact on the amount you move and the amount of calories burnt. So, yeah. Yeah. And that, that kind of comes, there's a lot of things, isn't there? It's like a lack of iron can do that. A lack of, um, what was it? Was uh, speaking with a woman yesterday who had Gilbert syndrome. Some of you might, but there's an, it's not very commonly heard about. And one of the main issues, not only obviously the physiological issues with liver producing certain aspects, et cetera, et cetera, was that it left you feeling flagged. And I'm like, a lot of things are like that where it's actually the, the, the way that the, disease or illness as it were leaves you with a lack of energy is what causes the weight gain it's never actually like we say 
it's never actually the fact that you are your body just stores fat out of nowhere. Like your body can only store fat if it has excess energy. Excess energy has to be used or stored. It cannot be destroyed. Okay, so it always has to be used or stored. So all it is is that whenever these things come about, it's like, oh, you know, she said, and she'd done a lot of research. So she was like, yeah, and it makes me feel, you know, lethargic. So like, I can't exercise much as I want. I can get to the end of work and I just have to lay down because I'm physically exhausted. So it does impact my step count, which I know obviously doesn't help. And it's like, yeah, so it's not directly that, but it's indirectly because it makes you not be able to get your output up as much. Therefore, then your calorie needs aren't as high, which means it's quite easy to eat at maintenance or eat over your maintenance. So that's kind of the thing as well. Um, and a little kind of side note as well with regards to PCOS. So not only is it metabolism, there are some supplements you can take. Another thing is obviously, um, which we're going to get onto just kind of briefly talking, obviously protein. So as we mentioned earlier, protein um, is a supplement. Again, taking protein and making sure you hit adequate protein um, is going to help with PCOS due to the excessive uses of protein. Um, you use, I can't remember the stats of how, but you use protein at a lot faster rate compared to your yeah, so just nor, as I say, for, normal or average person. For, from a, when you're in a fasted period, and most of us are actively in a fasted period in the hours of Throughout us the being asleep, yeah. um, you actually you oxidize protein at a much higher rate, which basically mm-hmm. means you use that as your fuel source. So there's obviously you know, it is more important for women with PCOS to be focusing on their protein intake because you are actually oxidizing at a higher rate. Um, um, there's, there's a couple of reasons why it's, it's important for you to obviously focus on protein as well. Um, again, typically some women with PCOS are also insulin resistant. So, you know, there's going to be benefits to exercising and particularly um, lifting weights in the gym, doing resistance training. And again, mm-hmm. if you're doing resistance training and stuff like you're going to want to consume adequate amount of protein because it's going to help um, repair your muscles. But more importantly, again, when you are um, obviously in a fasted state, you are going to be oxidizing protein at high rates. So, you know, you want to take that into consideration. Mm, Yeah. So having kind of regular feedings is going to be more beneficial. Yeah. Um, And having adequate protein you know, for the average part, for most people, it's going to be 20 to tw- 20 to 25, 20 to 30 grams of protein per meal spread out three to, you know, your t- it's probably similar to, to that. It's like 20 to 30 grams per meal spread out kind of three to five sittings uh, is going to be a probably good average way to go. And last little kind of fun fact before we wrap up PCOS is fruit. Yeah. So it's actually been, um, potentially proven to uh if you have 15 percent of your calories from fruit that actually they think um they're not 100 percent sure why but they think the antioxidants from fruit is what off- offsets the uh protein oxidation so again it's a smart idea mm. for you to actually have like 15 percent of your total daily calories from fruit from a perspective of obviously offsetting the protein oxidation that happens yeah, and I'd like to be honest, I'd argue that that's not a bad uh, habit to ingrain anyway, because of the micronutrients that are going to come with that. Um, is going to also be then a beneficial from that. You can also like it's not hard to get in fifteen percent easy. Like I love fruit. Like I, what's that fifteen percent? So you're kind of talking probably like for me it'd be like four apples. Yeah, I was going to say but like if you're if- average person like a female, it'll probably be like two apples, an apple, banana, and you know, some berries. It's not loads. It helps with it. 
like satiation as well, which actually I want to just add a little bonus bit in because, so this is the slight bonus bit that I want to just add for you is it's been proven that women with PCOS, so when I say this isn't the case for everyone, you've got to understand everyone is individualistic. Like some women will not have any kind of metabolic adaptation at all that have PCOS. Some will. Like some people will have higher cravings, some won't. It's going to be um, very individualistic to you, but it has been shown that someone with PCOS, actually, I'm not going to get into like the depths of the hormones and stuff, but basically post-feeding, do not get the satiation that a woman or a, a male with uh, without, well, obviously not a male, but a woman without uh, PCOS will have. So they have a feeding um, they eat a meal and they feel satiated after it. It's been shown that women with PCOS can potentially um, not get the satiation that's required after the eating, which makes you feel more hungry, which means your cravings are going to be higher. So this is something that so many people overlook. And this is what I determined someone being a good coach to a bad coach. And unfortunately, this is just not the information that a lot of personal trainers know. I'm so sorry if you're a personal trainer and you're listening to this, but you know, hopefully you can use it as education rather than anything else. It's like if your client has PCOS and they particularly report that their cravings are really, really high. Like again, I've just shown, like told you there's a specific hormone that is not getting, um, is basically getting downregulated, which is causing you to have higher hunger even after eating. So if I go and as a trainer, go and get you to do an intense amount of exercise, we know that intense exercise is only going to increase your hunger higher. So if I'm getting you to do intense exercise and I know your hunger is already high, like I'm leaving you in a really, really bad place here. Like I'm not really thinking about you and your individual uh, individualistic needs. Mm -hmm. So it's something that you need to bear in mind. And it's something that's worth mentioning because again, what's going to, if your hunger is higher, it's going to be a huge, huge issue for your adherence to your calories. If you now on top of that, know that your calories potentially need to be lower so you now need lower calories, you now have higher cravings, and your trainer is now chucking an abundance of intense exercise into your uh, regime, do you think it's going to be easy or harder for you to maintain your calories? Well, of course it's going to be harder. So these are the things that have to be considered, and this is where I like this is why we specialize in helping with the PCOS because we understand what's going on. Um, and we understand how we can make slight adjustments for your individualistic needs. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, a little roundup summary. So first things first, you can have a down-regulated metabolism. So as we always say, whenever using these calculators, just be aware of that. Again, you've got to start tracking. Um, a kind of rule of thumb that we typically use is give yourself, uh, instead of a 20% deficit, is a 30%, but... If you're using a calculator, it's probably going to work out for you anyway. But just understand that when you are looking to lose weight and use a calculator, if things don't move in two to three weeks, you may need to go for lower calories. Again, once you've checked your tracking. Second thing, good supplements that can help. Inositol, vitamin D, L-carnitine and magnesium for the multitude of different reasons that we just went through. Again, focusing on protein, having regular feedings with adequate protein in them can also help with regards to helping with insulin resistance, helping with increasing the amount of protein and repair if you're training as well. And then also looking at getting 15% of your calories from fruit. 
So we're going to talk about protein. Protein has a multitude of benefits, not only from a weight loss standpoint, but also from a standpoint, if, especially if you have uh, any metabolic conditions such as PCOS as well. Now, protein is arguably the second most important thing. You know, we know when it comes to losing weight, calories are king. That is the underlying factor. If you're not losing weight, it's because you are eating too many calories. Now, once you've kind of got your deficit in place, that's probably going to be your first point of call. Uh, once you've got that deficit in place, your second thing wants to be eating adequate protein. Now, me and Hayden are just probably just taking turns, probably easiest as to the benefits of eating adequate protein. So when it comes to losing weight, we typically get hungry. Um, that's a normal, actual, you know, physiological response. I think Hayden, that quite a lot of times people are, you know, I think I did in my early PT days and early kind of working as a nutrition coach was like, I was always concerned if my client was hungry, I was like, shit, I need to change something. But it's like hunger is a natural hormonal response to dieting. You're giving your healthy. Yeah, you're giving you it means you're working properly. Like you're giving your body less calories than it needs to do its job. I I almost argue that like a little bit of hunger is a pretty good sign to yourself often that you're in a deficit. You know, occasionally obviously there's different things that are going to be whether it's emotional hunger or stress, all these different things, lack of sleep, but hunger usually for the most part is one of the reasons as to one of the reasons one of the signs that you are in a deficit. Now, we want to offset this as much as possible. Protein is going to do that because protein basically has a slower digestion rate, which basically means it keeps you feeling fuller for longer. Now, when it comes to protein uh, and with that satiety feeling, it is going to help keep you fuller for longer, which is going to reduce your hunger and therefore it's going to improve your adherence. So making sure you have adequate protein, which we'll talk about what is adequate protein at the end of this part, is that making sure you have protein um, at every meal. And I would argue that that is a very good rule of thumb is to always make sure that you're adding protein to every meal because it's going to help increase the satiety of that meal, which basically means the fullness. And it's going to therefore reduce your snacking. It's going to reduce your snacking, which obviously, again, there's no issue in snacking if you're someone that likes to snack and graze. But for the most part, I think a lot of women struggle with the snacking between meals because that's then what increases their calorie and what brings them out of a deficit. So for satiety purposes, protein is key. Yeah, it's also um, a bit of a win-win really because with protein, it's got a higher thermic effect of feeding, which basically just means you actually burn more calories through the consumption of eating protein than any other macronutrient. So it's kind of like a win-win because you're physically burning more calories through eating protein than eating a carbohydrate yeah. or fat. Everyone's so, sprinting to a supermarket right now to buy a pack yeah. of chicken. <laughs> so the actual net calories of the protein um, calories consumed is going to be lower. Mm. Yeah. Less calories. Yeah, which kind of means if you intake 300 calories of, for example, you intake 300 calories of potatoes or you intake 300 calories of chicken, you might consume, once you've gone through a digestive process, 280 calories from that from that those potatoes whereas you will only consume 260 calories worth of chicken because it costs more calories to digest it that's probably an easy way to explain and it's like well that's cool like in theory that is a way you know that's one of the ways that you can increase your metabolism because that's just your body working and burning energy is actually eating more protein because therefore your body is burning more calories in one way shape or form in this case it's through digestion um, another reason as to why protein is good is because it also helps with muscle. Pro, pro, no, what's the word? Muscle 
preservation. That's the right word, I think. Muscle preservation. Preserve so whenever, it. yeah, preserve it. Because basically when you're in a calorie deficit, your body deems that it is in a state of famine. Um, your body is, it doesn't know the difference in relation to like you purposely doing it. And it's actually a controlled thing to you then actually being out in the world, caveman style. And, you know, Hayden hasn't caught us a deer in a long time now. And the rest of us are starving and we're waiting for this deer. So your body basically starts to obviously then consume its own stores. The thing is, is that when we're in a deficit, your body doesn't just only consume stored body fat. It uses up stored carbohydrates. It also breaks down protein, which is muscle because it is metabolically active tissue. And then it breaks that down to then in turn cycle to then turn into energy for us to use. Because if we're not getting enough energy coming in, your body then has to take the energy that is inside to produce then the output that you want for the outside, i.e. muscles contracting, moving, all that good stuff. So by making sure that we have adequate protein is also going to help in relation to us actually ensuring that we maintain as much muscle mass as possible. Now, this is super duper important because as I said earlier, muscle mass is metabolically active tissue, which basically means that it costs us calories to keep. So again, we're always kind of reversing back to the more calories you burn, the more calories you're going to be able to consume and still lose weight. So keeping muscle mass is super important, but not only from a calorie burning point of view, muscle retention is important because it keeps you strong. It obviously is then going to help later on in life when we tend to atrophy through the later um, stages going through menopause, also when you know even men with their testosterone dropping, it is going to be go on. No, go on. Oh, I was going to say, um, it's going to be super important for the longevity of you moving forward as well. And especially if you're an avid gym goer, um, you want to be eating adequate protein because it is going to ensure that you are able to stay in a. Po- I was about to say stay in a positive nitrogen balance. I mean, that means nothing. So it also is going to help you repair your muscles uh, and uh, get stronger, build muscle as well. Because if we haven't got adequate protein, we're not going to uh, have an easy time trying to build muscle as well, which is which is kind of going to defeat the object. Yeah, they're, they're really the main points that like you need to know yeah. at this moment in time. But like from an actual practical standpoint as well, like at absolute minimum, like absolute minimum, you want to be consuming 1.2 grams of protein per kilo of body weight you weigh. Like mm-hmm. minimum. Ideally, you want to be much closer to like the 1.6 mark. 1.6 grams of protein per kilo of body weight you weigh. Um, it, if you're looking to gain muscle, obviously you can go all the way up to like 2.2 grams. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, like if you've never placed your focus in consuming much protein at all, and you just randomly jump up to like 1.8 grams, you could have some digestive issues to start off with. So I yeah. always suggest like starting on the lower end and slowly working up. But you, you really, really, really like don't want to be having anything less than 1.2 grams per kilo of body weight. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. And if you look at, I was just doing some maths. Yeah. So if you look at that, pretty much 0.4 to 0.5 grams per kilo of body weight per meal is a good one to aim for. Like if I have 0.4 grams per meal for what I weigh, that gives me, if I have three meals a day, 120 grams. And 120 grams is 1.2 grams per kilo for me. So aiming around 0.4 to 0.5 grams per kilo is a good one. Again, you want to spread it out spread it out throughout the day. So I would try and, you know, for most of you, it's going to be breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So I'd always try with your three main meals to get 
kind of uh, 0.4 to 0.5 grams uh, per kilo in that. So a source of protein. We're going to talk about sources in a second um, at those meals. And if you can try and get a snack, which is high in protein, whether it's a protein bar, whey protein, you're looking at maybe some yogurt, um, looking at some nuts, looking at, that completely stumped me, boiled eggs, looking at completely like went out my thing out my head um, these are just going to help give you some additional protein again you're going to get trace proteins from other uh, variety of ingredients on your plate not just from the direct protein source as well so when we're looking at sources um just to kind of give you a quick overview of sources um sources are coming from things such as meat fish i was waiting if you wanted to join in with me listing these here <laughs> meat, fish, uh, meat, fish, dairy. Um, you can also get them from beans and legumes, like green peas and stuff. You can get it from broccoli. You can get it from tofu. Um, you yeah. can get it from. Yeah, you just want to like. Eat I, I, I saw uh, someone put it on uh, my Facebook the other day. Well, not literally my Facebook, but it was like not a status. Peanut butter. No, but <laughs> I, I saw people like, oh, ha- um. The only source of protein that I, I seem to like is nuts, and I was like, "There's trace protein in nuts, but nuts yeah, isn't not is not a, no. it's not really a protein source. It's like the majority of nuts is fat, so it's like don't." And again, this mm. is the argument that like um, vegetarians and vegans have, don't they? Like, there's more grams of protein in broccoli than there is. It's like, a steak. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, but the amount of yeah, and and this is what you've got to remember is an easy way to do it is to once you've worked out like what your amount of grams per body weight that you need, you know, say you're like, okay, cool. I worked out that I need 90 grams of protein. Okay, cool. What you got to do is break that down into per meal. You have three meals a day and you need 90 grams of protein. That's 30 grams of protein per meal. When you're building your meal, think about what you're having. Okay. So I'm having chicken fajitas. Cool. I need 30 grams. Well, I know that 100 grams of cooked, sad, I know this, but I do. 100 grams of cooked chicken is going to give you 30 grams of protein. So you know when you're making chicken fajitas, you always want 100 grams of chicken, and that's going to give you enough protein to hit your targets. That way you can then manipulate your protein source in your meals to hit your targets. And then always look back, you know, especially if you're tracking calories, you can look back in my fitness power, whatever app you're using, and look at previous days when you've hit those, those protein targets, because they are literally set days that you can now use as reference on how you can hit your protein target moving forward. And as a cheeky little bonus, as we're about to round this up, if you would like a protein source sheet, which gives you a list of about 30 odd protein sources per 100 grams, DM me on Instagram the word protein sheet, and I will send the, the link over to that to you. All you've got to do is enter your email, and then we'll send it straight into your inbox, and that will help you identifying some of the best sources of protein that you can get. So to bring this up for a little summary, protein is important because one, it helps keep you satiated. It helps keep you full up for longer, which is important when dieting. Number two, as Hayden said nicely, the thermic effect of food, it burns more calories than carbs or fats when you eat it. Therefore, you are going to in turn increase your metabolism, burn more calories each and every day. And lastly, it's going to help with muscle retention, but also muscle repair as well. It's going to make sure that you don't lose muscle through dieting, but also if you're going to the gym, it's going to help you repair and get them muscles big and strong. And if you need protein sources, DM me the word protein sheet and I will send that over to you. 1.2 grams per kilo of body weight is going to be your lowest identifiable amount. And then you want to break that up evenly throughout your kind of daily meals from there. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is pretty much an hour bang on. Good work, Henry Roth. 
Boom. Boom. Well, team, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you enjoy the new format. It means that not only do you get these whole full hour-long episodes, but also you get 20-minute episodes um, throughout the week as well. For those of you that like to hear mine and Hayden's voices throughout the week, you now can hear us more uh, on podcasts. Apart from that, as per usual, if you need anything and you want us to take the guesswork out, and I said this the other day in my email, how many times have you thought, I know what to do, but I just can't do it? It's so common. I speak to so many of our clients who know exactly what to do, know how to eat healthy, understand calories, have tracked calories before, but they just can't get it to work. DM us Academy on either Hayden's Instagram or my Instagram. Our handles are down below and we can reach out and talk you through to see if we'd be a good fit for one-to-one coaching. As per usual, if you just want some free resources, link to the calorie calculators down below. And if you want that protein sheet, DM me protein sheet and I will send you the link so you can get that protein sheet sent to your inbox. Apart from that, that is me, Ryan Smith. Thanks for joining me. Hope you enjoyed the little listen. <laughs> I should start I the radio. You, I thought you were going like, to sign me off. I didn't know what was going on. No, but... man, you want to sign yourself off. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for this pleasure. I'll, I'll come on the episode again next week. <laughs> Oh, I love this. All right, team. Well, look, have an awesome week. Um, I'm not too sure when this will be uploaded. End of the week. Uh, Have an awesome week. Hope you are enjoying yourselves. Um, And apart from that, we'll see you in the next episodes. See you soon. Take care, team. Bye-bye.